everybody welcome to another episode of cape town we're a superhero podcast about superhero things i'm tyler huckabee i'm Krishan blood i'm hannah mazel and, and this week we are talking about captain marvel we uh, are a few weeks out from the first trailer for the movie uh this has been somebody probably the person that we've gotten asked about the most i know that she's like become a very big name but a lot of people still don't know a lot about her we'll try to fill in some of the blanks and give you some recommendations for things you want to read you might want to read about captain marvel before the movie comes out, there is a lot of material out there, and she is kind of a confusing character, so hopefully this clears things up instead of confuses them. At this point, I could really honestly see it going either way, but we'll try to do our best to do the latter. Um, before we get to that, like always, we'll take a little bit to talk about some of the other news that came out the, over the past couple of weeks since we last recorded. And the first thing I think we should talk about is the Dark Phoenix trailer, the X-Men Dark Phoenix trailer, which... Uh, has sort of been in flux a lot and the movie's gotten backed up a lot and there's were questions about whether or not it would even happen if it was going to get canceled altogether. But it's happened, at least it's happening insofar as there's a, a trailer out there now that we've all seen. Um, what did we think about the Dark Phoenix trailer? Judging by the reactions online, I, I feel like I wasn't alone in thinking that this looks like a shot-for-shot remake of X-Men Last Stand. Yeah, yeah like Jean Grey's like trying to... like deal with like having these powers and discovering that Xavier like kind of like compartmentalized like what she was truly capable of and then what seeking Magneto and then going a little bit overboard it just it just honestly like that's what the story that the trailer told so it does Mm -hmm. definitely feel like that um so yeah I don't know I I'm pretty indifferent to it at this point I I think I'm mostly bummed that Ty Sheridan uh, who plays Cyclops is potentially going to be wasted on this. Like, and the whole thing's going to be rebooted without him. I really like him. Like as young actors go, I think he like has potential to be a really good one. So um, yeah, I don't know. I I'm hoping, for, I, I'm hopeful for good things, but the trailer definitely didn't do anything for me. The dark Phoenix storyline is a very well-known X-Men uh, comic store from the seventies, I believe. And it's already been adapted in the first round of X-Men movies. We got a few years ago, uh, and it was called X-Men The Last Stand. Going back to that well so soon does seem like sort of a mistake, uh, but it seems like people were willing to give them a shot. But this so far does look like a very, like just a, a remake of, of The Last Stand. And it has the same, it was written by the same guy uh, who's also directing it this time. So I, I was ready to be on board. If the trailer really wowed me, I would say the trailer didn't wow me it just seemed like a very much the the same sort of x-men movie we've been getting recently which looks a little bit a little bit half-assed i don't know right you guys what the rest do you think even if it wasn't so you know kind of scene for scene like the last stand was um it just looks like every other x-men movie that's come out the tone of it the style of it everything that's happening looks like a movie that we've seen you know a few times already it's really fun to see a superhero movie trailer that's like, oh, I didn't see that tone coming, like the Shazam trailer, which was which was goofy and weird, and I, I was surprised. I didn't know what to expect from a Shazam movie, and that one caught me off guard. And that's just really refreshing right now with these movies. And this this was not that. Even the the New Mutants trailer, which who knows if that movie's ever going to come out, but the horror theme they explored with the New Mutants trailer at least made me think this is something that I really haven't seen before from one of these movies, which I think is what Dark Phoenix needed to deliver on was a really fresh tone. And um, and the tone here is is not fresh at all. It feels like a throwback to a superhero movie from like 2003, 2004. It feels very just stale. But I think the other weird thing, too, is like even though Last Stand obviously is not very fondly remembered and Brett Ratner has his own series of problems, uh, like at least when they made that movie viewers knew who Jean Grey was, I guess. Like, and they had established her in that universe. Like, you got the Cyclops, Jean Grey, uh, like, Logan triangle really, you know, clearly defined through, like, two two movies, two whole movies. Um, whereas, like, this one, she was kind of a bit character in the Age of Apocalypse movie. And, like, you know, obviously played a role in the 
you know, in the ending and climax of that. But it, like, it doesn't feel like we have that. Um, like, she, we really know who she is in this iteration yeah. of it. You know, they've done a lot more. They've done obviously a lot more characterization with uh, Charles and with Mystique and with Beast. So I guess like I'm a little surprised that they picked this storyline to go with out of all the different X Men ones that they could do. Um, it just seems like there's so many storylines that they could have chosen instead um, that would have provided more fodder for stuff. Um, but I guess on the bright side, this means uh, Kevin Feige can start with the Messiah complex. <laughs> <laughs> and I do. I one thing that I'll give the trailer that that I I liked, and I, I think Ryan, maybe you and I talked about this a little bit off record, was uh, that it looks like they might be sort of hinting at a little more morally dubious characterization for Xavier, which in the comics is, is very true. He, Xavier believes that he's doing the right thing, but he has a very much has an ends justify the means mentality about the things that he's doing. And he has been known to hurt people along the way. That's a really, that's a much more interesting characterization than just the, uh, than the picture of Xavier we've gotten over the past few movies, I would love to see that explored more fully. And and if this movie does it, then that would be really cool. I, I think that'd be an interesting direction to go. But I'm reading a lot into one line in a trailer, so I don't want to put too much into. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I'm also absolutely uncynical about Nightcrawler. Um, like, give me Nightcrawler in an X Men movie, and that's you know I'm gonna like that part at least. Give me the Nightcrawler solo movie. And I like I like him too. Cody Smith McKee, the actor, is is really great. And and I'm with you, Chris. I do like Ty Sheridan's Cyclops. I think all of these actors, most of these actors at least, deserved a better franchise than the one they got. That is something crazy watching the trailer again, because it's like it's been, you know, a while since we've gotten a really good X-Men movie. And it's like it is crazy the cast that they have for these movies. It's wow. Um, and that they signed yeah. them all to like four picture deals. Like the fact that they have Michael Fassbender and Jennifer Lawrence just locked down is nuts. The fact that Jennifer Lawrence is still doing these is yeah. is she okay? Like does she need <laughs> money? I don't understand that one at all. I thought for sure she'd be out. Apocalypse, she was pretty much not there. Yeah. You mean emotionally? I mean emotionally. <laughs> <laughs> that was a masterclass in, in a phoned in performance. <laughs> it was like, it was the most rote line reading, like just teleprompter acting that I've seen. And I don't blame her. Like the movie didn't deserve much more than she gave to it. That's fine. She's a good actor who didn't feel like she needed to give much to Apocalypse. I just can't believe she came, they wrestled her into That's another an one. That's contract right there. I get good, good on the Fox lawyers for nailing down Jennifer Lawrence for what coming up on 10 years now. How long has it been? Yeah. I mean, when did first class come out? First class. I mean, she was not as big of a star when first class came out. Right. So that made sense, but, the, but she doesn't need these movies anymore at all. Neither. I mean, none of them really do. It was only seven years ago. Oh, only seven. Oh, well that, yeah, that makes more sense. <laughs> Um, turning to other, there's a lot of news this week. We we've spent too much time on a trailer that none of us are all that excited about. I, I am more intri- intrigued by this Disney. We've known for a while they have a streaming service. They're gonna their big Netflix competition. They're going to be pulling all of the rest of their content from places like Netflix, Hulu, uh, and consolidate them all to just Disney's streaming service. I'm sure that'll be. I think that'll make them money. They're also going to have original content among them, new Marvel shows utilizing the MCU cast. Uh, the only things that we know for sure are coming right now, and there will be more, but we're going to get be getting a, a Loki series and a Scarlet Witch series that apparently are going to star Tom Hiddleston and Elizabeth Olsen in them. I think that sounds great. I would love to get some of the actors who haven't gotten quite as much to do in these big movies, a little more opportunity to, to like stretch their wings in a TV series, especially uh, helmed by, by Kevin Feig, who is going to be heading these up in a way that he has not been doing with the Netflix series or on ABC with agents of shield or, or inhumans. I, I think there's a lot of opportunity here, a lot of potential, even if it seems like the universe itself might be getting a little unwieldy. I'm excited to see where this one goes. Yeah. I'm so curious. Like, what stories they're actually going to tell for Loki. I can't imagine they're going to do another resurrection arc. So it has to take place, you know, once upon a time with Scarlet Witch. I'm just, I'm so curious what they're actually going to do with it. What if it's a backdoor pilot to M day? Honestly though, like they something could. like that. Yeah. Like I've honestly thought like, okay, like, are they going to go that route? Like that would be 
it'd be interesting. They also could go the route of like what is like her dealing with the fallout of losing vision and you know creating well, creating spoiler. those creating yeah sure <laughs> creating those children like creating children and then uh-huh. like leading into all that. So I don't know. Anyway. I think that Elizabeth Olsen has been sort of, I think she's been well cast for the role. I think she hasn't been utilized as well in this, in this franchise or honestly, in, in a lot of movies for as talented as she is. I'm hoping that a series that focuses on her a little more will give her a chance to, to do a little more. And there's, it's not like Scarlet Witch has a ton of really iconic stories out there, which can be, I, I think in some ways, probably a little bit freeing for some, for the people who are writing these stories because they're not beholden to a blueprint uh, or they don't have to win fans over to a certain idea of Scarlet Witch. Uh, so both for her and for Loki, I, I think there's a lot of opportunities there. I, and I, I think this could do very well. And I'm really curious what the the whiteboard in Kevin Feig's office, with a, is it like a beautiful mind situation of trying to figure out where all these TV shows are going to fit into the next 10 years of movies that they're also doing, which apparently is also going to have some old Avengers in it now, in addition to wherever the the new pieces fit with new Guardians of the Galaxy movies and the Eternals movie. I, it, what he's trying to pull off still is really insane to me and adding a TV show to it. seems like it could be make it a little bit messy, but I'm I'm excited about it for the moment. I will say I'd like him to consider a Hawkeye TV show and then bring Seriously. Matt Fraction to write it. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, do you mean Jeremy Renner as Clint Barton Hawkeye or do you want yeah. Kate Bishop Hawkeye? Well, I would also like Kate Bishop. So bring on um, who's writing Kate Bishop. I should, I'm sorry. I should know this. Like, uh, so Fraction. Oh, Kelly Thompson. It's Kelly Thompson. Yeah, so yeah, have, yeah. So have Kelly Thompson and Matt Fraction just like trade off. That'd be great. Sign me up. Can you imagine? Oh, that would be, it doesn't like a no brainer, like, like kind of surly older Jeremy Renai teaching a new young, like Archer, how to be the next Hawkeye. That feels that's made. That's great television with pizza dog. It's awesome. It's all great. (laughs) It's another opportunity for us to recommend that you read the Matt Fraction Hawkeye series, which is a a, Thompson and the Kelly Thompson, the current ongoing one are, are two really cherished titles around these parts. As excited as I am about a Scarlet Witch and Loki series. I do feel like, my brain is like going into hyperdrive trying to assume what like these announcements mean for, you know, the current state of things in the MCU. Obviously I I agree with you. It'd be strange if they did like a, a resurrection story with Loki. They did that in the dark world, you know, albeit it was kind of an illusion uh, death that Loki is, you know, famous for, but still I, I, I I doubt that's going to happen. And I kind of want them not to announce anything until infinity war. Uh, two comes out. I bet they won't. I bet that. I bet that. I know. I know they won't. I know they won't. But I feel like I feel like they're announcing all these things, and it's kind of taking away from like you know this epic moment of you know that this this final culmination of everything, and it's it's getting confusing. I'd agree with that. Like right, even right before we started recording, there an email came through about a first look at Jake Gyllenhaal and the Spider Man movie, and it's kind of like. Uh, like I, I know I like I know this is coming, but there is like a bit of the like, you know, I want to kind of be lost in it, but I pr- I'm probably too far gone at this point just to <laughs> be there. Well, Chris, you even read, and I I don't do this. I don't think I don't know if any of the rest of us do this, but you will go on and like look for uh like spoiler chatter for Avengers four just to see like. I don't- I don't look for it. It finds me. Um, (laughs) No, I, I I have like, (laughs) and I have, I have come across a thing or two of like the spoil, like just theories and like people piecing stuff together. Um, Like we've seen the, like, I think it's been released now, like, you know, on a wider scale, but even like some of the character art art for the next, uh, the next movie. Um, Some more details about that stuff even came out this week. So, so yeah, I just stumble across it every now and then. I think it is hard because you do want to be really surprised by the things that you see in the movies, but where there's so much paparazzi and so many leaks and there's so much interest in where, where it's going to go, it's getting harder. And I'm sure the studio feels this too. It's harder to give people that those big wow moments in these movies because there's so like, it would be really fun to know that Jake Gyllenhaal is going to be in this in the next Spider-Man movie, but just have no idea what his role was going to be. But that was never, that was just never going to happen. That was never in the cards. Um, but they've pulled it out. Like, I think the, the red skulls involvement in infinity war was a big surprise to everybody. 
Uh, and I want more of those moments. I want to be to be shocked by the things that pop up. And it's, that's getting harder to do, especially when we're trying to deliver really timely news for all of you listeners on this podcast. <laughs> and we have a member of our podcast who Googles things like Avengers <laughs> 4, tell me everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this news is a little bit weird. There is going to be a new... not. I shouldn't say this. There is not going to be a new Deadpool movie this Christmas, but there is going to be a Deadpool movie in theaters this Christmas that you'll be able to watch with your whole family because apparently they're just recutting Deadpool 2 for a PG-13 to get a PG-13 rating. Uh, so you can, after Christmas dinner, you can get all the kids together, put them all in the minivan and head down and watch a, a Deadpool movie. And I don't know why they're doing this. It sounds great. I'm sure that'll be a good time. I have no interest in a PG-13 Deadpool. I don't have a whole lot of interest in a lot of Deadpool movies. Is that the, was that the meaning behind the photo that he posted this week of him reading? Definitely. Okay. I'm yeah, not, I, yeah. the photo that he released this week on, uh, that Ryan Reynolds put on Twitter was him in Deadpool costume reading a book to fred savage adult fred savage like in a princess bride the only caption like anything that he gave it like for it was the caption was thoughts and that's it so it just kind of let people go there could be original content there like they could add like if they were to add deadpool reading to fred savage and just sort of jumping over the more r-rated parts of the movie i can see that being sort of funny but it's really easy to go overboard with meta wink at the audience type humor and Deadpool walks that line really real. Like it gets, he gets right up to the edge of it and this could cross right over it for me. Plus I feel like the things that make Deadpool like special, which is a weird term, but I can't think of a better one are like the like extremely out of left field, like shocking moments that would never have their place. Like, I mean, I'm assuming most everyone has seen it who wants to see it at this point, but there's a sequence in which Deadpool is ripped in half in uh, Deadpool 2. And it's like one of the funniest things I've ever seen in a superhero movie. And it's just because like it could never happen in any of Marvel's other properties. So it, it seems it seems weird that they're like the thing that Deadpool fans want is less of that because I don't think that's true. Hannah, where do you, how do you, where are you at on Deadpool in general? I love the movies. I'm not, I don't read much of the comics, but I, I loved the both movies. I, I'm kind of confused as to why they, I mean, I, I, I'm not, I'm not that confused. They want money, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's a secret. <laughs> that's obviously the answer. But like, I kept thinking like, oh, you're going to come out with something at Christmas. You should do one of those, like, you should do like a Deadpool version of one of those like stop motion, uh, you know, like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Oh, like a, like a claymation Deadpool. <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. I would watch that. Give me some original content. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to personally give you any more money from like, from a, you know, a movie ticket um, to see, a, you know, a censored version of the movie I already like. So maybe there'll be curious people who are just like super fans who are, who are wanting to go see it in the theater again. I'm assuming it's a theatrical release. We don't know much more than what than what we've said already, but theatrical release seems like what it's, yeah, yeah. that's on the calendar. All right, yeah, cool. Good for them. I mean, I guess if your options are a recut Deadpool 2 or like having a political argument around the Christmas table, then like maybe, you know, maybe you choose Deadpool 2 in that case. <laughs> There's going to be that new Nutcracker movie in theaters. You can go check that out. No, don't do that. <laughs> As a box office, like, lover and like kind of nerd who follows this i feel like that movie is just gonna flop so so hard the nutcracker one yeah i do too yeah yeah, yeah. it's really it's it's really coming up empty i don't feel like I, I, I keep forgetting it's happening good glad we're all on board <laughs> <laughs> um speaking of potential flops birds of prey movie is moving forward <laughs> <laughs> so the birds of prey is a very little known dc property um that that is not like it it has a lot of fans because uh, there's been a lot of involvement from Gail Simone, who's a really great comic book writer, and, and she's done a lot of good work with it. Uh, typically, it features uh, um, some, D- some of DC's female characters like the Huntress, Black Canary, uh, Oracle or Batgirl, sometimes Harley Quinn, and that's where they're trying to go with this, which is going to be sort of an effective sequel to uh, or spinoff from Suicide Squad. Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn will be leading it. And this week they casted Mary Elizabeth Winstead, uh, who was in the most recent Cloverfield movie as the Huntress, and Journey Smollett, who I know best from Friday Night Lights. I, I know she's also in uh, the Underground Railroad show as Black Canary. Um, 
and I like that cast a lot, actually. Like that's a that's pretty cool. I, I'm not super interested in this movie still, or, or I'm still very skeptical about any DC movie. But that's a solid looking cast. Yeah, better than the cast that we had originally discussed. What, what were the? I don't remember those names exactly, but they were kind of like just like, for a while. Lady Gaga's name was in play. I don't think these were on the short list until very recently, but it's who they got. And, and it, I think it's a good move. Like these are exciting actors to, I, I want to see where it goes from here. It remains to be seen whether or not DC can really pivot to make people actually excited about this, but getting a good cast involved can't hurt. And apparently they're able to do that here. So that's cool. Kind of a, I feel like I'm a little more, you know, interested um, and with, you know, Gail Simone's participation as well, like there's, there's definite potential for it to be better than, you know, the last movie we saw Harley Quinn in, um, it was on the squad. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. That's the big time. So, um, it's hard to say, like my level of excitement is, is pretty like, um, like compared to like a Marvel movie, it's pretty low, but compared to a movie it's pretty high so <laughs> i'm more interested in this than i am in a pg-13 deadpool movie for sure yeah me too <laughs> yeah sure is that really faint praise i meant it i meant that nicer than it sounded but it doesn't sound like a great compliment <laughs> i'm like cautiously interested to see where this movie goes i was very skeptical remain very skeptical about this joaquin phoenix joker movie that todd phillips is directing some of the early art is not bad I, i'm it it looks kind of like they're taking it in a more interesting direction than I thought they were going to. That's intriguing. I'm still uh, like with all this entire franchise, I'm just really skeptical about whether or not they can really stick the landing, but full credit to those, these early images for making me think like, Oh, I didn't see that coming. That's kind of interesting looking. Yeah. Is it a hot take to say that I'm like super into this? Maybe. I don't Um, know. Maybe on this podcast. Like when the images came out and the, and the uh, screen test came out, like, it looks really cool. Yeah, it does. I agree. <laughs> I mean, I agree. And I think like the that uh, that shot of like the Thomas Wayne like campaign poster looked really cool. So I guess like I mean, what I was hoping for all along, but never believed that they would do, is that they would make a standalone Joker movie that would basically tell like a non canonical story, kind of like they've, you know, they let like Brian Azzarello do um, in like the comics. Um, if they could do something like that, like it could be really good. Um, we could basically get DC's version of Logan. That's, I think, what they what DC really needs right now. That's their best chance is a like a small standalone, really well reviewed, critically appreciated film. And I think that's what they're trying to do with some of their upcoming movies. And this, you can only tell so much from an early look, right? These are like set photos and screen tests, but they but they do look good. They they look. As somebody who was not, very not into this idea, I am surprised at how much more they they got me on board with some of these early looks. What do you guys think, Chris and Hannah? I'm not actually taking any time to look at anything, really. Oh. Because um, I'm going to see it. I know I'm going to see it at this point. So now I'm just kind of like allowing myself to experience some kind of element of surprise. So I saw a few pictures and that was it. I'm like, you know what? No, I'm going to wait until comes out and not I either get myself disappointed or worked up when you saw him in the uh joker makeup did you say this is the real dark phoenix oh gosh did you? nobody said that <laughs> i kind of liked it thank you <laughs> i kind of liked it i was thank into you. it <laughs> Chris, what Chris, what do you think of the images? Uh, they, I mean, they look cool. I there was um, a really cool side by side of the um, his Joker makeup with like one of the old school. I think Adam West. Um, mm-hmm. Was it Adam West or like the Caesar Romero? Yeah, maybe so. But it looked it. I, it was just like a nice little nod to like some of the old school uh, Joker stuff. Yeah, I'm kind of into it. Like. I'm in to see what, what Joaquin could actually do uh, do here. Zazie Beats is uh, going to yeah, be in I it, like so that. always always a fan. Um, so yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I, I I have no reason to be like super hesitant at this point. I'm kind of like you guys have been won over. It did what the Dark Phoenix trailer, what the what the Venom marketing needed to do was take me from being very skeptical about this idea to wit and like, oh, this is interesting. It, and neither of those movies have done it with their marketing, but the but this Joker movie could which could still be bad 
uh, it did. It, it, it surprised me with how I was surprised by how on board I got with it. Um, so I, uh, yeah, we'll see. There is still actually <laughs> apparently another Joker movie happening, a Joker and Harley Quinn movie, which is going to star Jared Leto and Margot Robbie. I, I don't know what they're doing. I, I don't know why they're doing this, but it's being written by the biggest revelation about this to me was that the same duo that wrote bad Santa is currently writing. This is us. I had <laughs> no idea of that. And they uh, said they're going to blend those two properties for their Joker and Harley movie. That sounds like a disaster to me, but that is the announcement that they made this week. The script is done. It's by the people who brought This Is Us and Bad Santa to us, and they're going to make it This Is Us and Bad Santa together. It's already a hard pass. Santa is us. This is bad. So already planning on skipping that one. And then the last piece of news we have for the week is that there is actually a director for The Eternals. Uh, this this property is going to be going forward. The next big Marvel property after the after the Avengers 4 movie, the, that next new introduction will be a group of very little known characters from the Marvel Universe called The Eternals. Chloe Zhao uh, just did The Writer. Uh, it did really, really well at Sundance. She did not use professional actors for it. Uh, I haven't seen the movie, so I can't speak to it, but I know people like it a lot. And now she's going to be directing Marvel's next big The Eternals movie, which is about, who are The Eternals? This is, uh, we don't need to get too far into this, but we don't know a lot about The Eternals on this podcast. I feel like Ryan would be the good yeah, to. No, I'm, I'm like totally, I'm totally out. I have no idea. I assume we'll do an episode and then I was going to disguise my ignorance with some quick research, but we'll do an episode at some point right now. Your guess is as good as ours. I think they're, I think they're old. I think they're like, it's like cosmic stuff. I know yeah, here. I'll give, the, I'll give the quickest wiki uh, read. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Eternals are a fictional race of humanity appearing in the comics. Uh, they are described as an offshoot of the evolutionary process that created sentient life on earth. There you go. All right. There we go. Can't wait. That sounds good. Means nothing to me. (laughs) Well, we will learn more about them in the future. But for now, we're going to turn our attention actually to the next big Marvel franchise, uh, who's somebody, like I said, we've been getting a lot of questions about her. Uh, We've been looking forward to doing this episode for a while because we hope this provides a little bit of clarity to who Captain Marvel is. The Captain Marvel movie will be coming out in March. We got our first look at the trailer a couple of weeks ago. It came out right after we recorded our last episode, our Venom episode. But now we're all together here and we get to talk about Captain Marvel a little bit. Um, so let's start by talking about the trailer, since we didn't get it all talk about it together until now. We've had a little time to sit on it, thought about it, we've prayed about it, we've talked to friends and loved ones. Um, I'll come out of the gates and say, and, and we did talk, we did text about it a little bit. Um, I, I thought it was fantastic. I was super excited. I, and I'm not surprised to think it was fantastic. Marvel's put together great trailers, but it, it looks really good. The 90s theme really won me over. I, the The moment where I think I realized I was on board was when there was a top of the subway chase that was teased. I'm always down for that. But also some really, really great editing with uh, the the images of Carol Danvers and I assume younger versions of herself getting up uh, like rising, like rising up after getting knocked over, which is a very central theme of hers in the in the comics. Uh, that told me that they are that I'm very much on their wavelength with this character, and so I, my my hype level was high, and it remains high going in. What do you guys think? Uh, before before we get into reactions, could I just say that the way you described the trailer uh, makes me wish it had been soundtracked by Chubbawamba's Tub. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, on to other reactions. It's not too late to throw that in. That's like a that's like tail end of the '90s, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, it fit. Oh, it fit perfectly. Well, I don't know yeah. perfectly. It would fit. I would be surprised if it didn't make an appearance. But th- as far as the trailer itself went, not a lot of '90s music references outside of the Nirvana T-shirt, which was enough for me. Um, but did you guys like it? You know, I'm excited about it. I don't feel like I was as pumped as I expected to be. I don't think it was a bad trailer necessarily. I just, for whatever reason, it could just be a, you know, purely a Hannah reaction that no one else experienced. I just wasn't as pumped as I expected to be for the movie. Um, but I'm excited about uh, the scroll. Um, you see those briefly in the trailer and we've seen is obviously come out too. Um, so that's really exciting. Uh, I love 1990s Samuel L. Jackson, though I really wish he had hair. <laughs> I think that would have been great. Opportunity missed for sure. Um, 
And um, I'm excited to see them play out the Cree characters and um, that race more. Uh, those are things that excite me. I don't know the trailer. I, I'm not, I'm not one to pick apart a trailer totally. So I'm not sure I have as probably a lengthy of a opinion as the rest of you do, but I look forward to seeing it based upon some of the things I saw. I do feel like the trailer kind of like left me in a place where I'm not really sure about the tone of the movie. I'm honestly like right there with you. Like I thought I was missing something with like how, excited a lot of people were including my wife who like got really emotional when she saw the standing up piece like even but even that like i came away like feeling almost the exact same way where i was you know like overall like i'm really excited for this to be introduced into like the mcu and you know to see how everything plays out but as a trailer like as a trailer and like getting me excited about it i didn't feel that so yeah, I don't know. It just kind of it just kind of felt like any other you know action movie. Exploring the Cree is going to be really cool. Like I'm, I'm excited to have Ronan back um, because I think Lee Pace, like given the freedom to not be like this super angsty Ronan, yeah. um, and see like what they can actually do with the, a little bit more with character. I'm hoping maybe something with the character can be redeemed and maybe you know have you know a larger impact um, in other movies, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it definitely didn't strike the same chord with me as like, you know, a few other um, trailers that have come out in the, um, like it for Marvel over the last few years. That makes me feel better. I didn't have that <laughs> reaction. <laughs> so, we're at, so we're like at one, we're like at two sort of like meh, would you say meh or like a little bit above a meh? Yeah, I'd go with meh, but yeah, I don't, I still just, yeah, I just don't know what I was missing from like everybody else being super hyped about mm-hmm. it. Uh, Ryan, how'd you feel about it? Uh, I was super into it. Um, so, 2-2. I mean, as listeners of the podcast probably know, like I really love when Marvel goes full sci-fi and when it goes like full cosmic. So, the fact that it had scrolls in it, I was like extremely all in. Um, mostly because, and I think we've talked about this before, but like nobody was sure who had the rights to right. yeah, uh, the yeah, scrolls. Because yeah. um, I think they first appeared in a Fantastic Four book. Um, which everyone assumed meant Fox had them. So nobody knew if uh, Disney could use the scrolls. Um, second, there was like a ton in space, which I was super into. Uh, yeah. And, and third, like, I think, you know, in reading for this, uh, for this episode, um, like sci-fi space, uh, Carol Danvers is my favorite version of Captain Marvel. Um, so I think that made me really excited too. Um, you mean as opposed to her being like more of an earthbound character? Like yeah, exactly. Avenger. Like those stories are just like, are like feel less interesting to me for some reason. Um, I mean, I, that's obviously totally a personal preference. Um, I think like getting into like the weirder edges of the Marvel universe, um, is always something I welcome. So, uh, seeing a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of very sci-fi shots, uh, was really cool. Um, I'm also like, I also think it's like a really cool, or it, I should say, it seems like from the trailer, what they hinted at is that it's a really cool way to tell an origin story. That's not an origin story. Yeah. Um, yeah, cause it feels answer. like we're getting the ability to eat our cake and have it too. I also really loved they let her punch an old lady. That was super cool. <laughs> I was really surprised and, they did that. That seems like a, a lot, that was a weird decision. But it led to like I think the worst hot take I've ever read online. Oh, yeah. Um, like someone from the Guardian. Like I was super into it. I thought the cuts of the shots where she talks about getting back up, but it shows her as a child and then as um, you know, a member of the what are they called? The Marvel Force or something. Oh, uh, I should, you think I would know, but I don't. It's something like the Marvel (laughs) Force. Yeah. Um, Like as a member of a team and then like as, you know, the full-blown Captain Marvel. That was great. Super great. Um, So if that's the theme of the movie, I'm all in. Uh, Yeah. So I was really excited. Give me more sci-fi Marvel. Okay. We're two and two. We'll see how it goes. Somebody's going to be vindicated and somebody else is going to be kicked off the podcast. I think I think it's probably going to be a great movie, I'm, and I'm excited about it. I just feel like I saw the trailer, and because like not all trailers, you know, elicit the same emotions of everyone. That's true. Yeah, that's true. But I want to be clear. I think it's going to be a good movie. I'm excited to see it. I was a little skeptical about Brie Larson playing Carol Danvers, not because I think uh, Brie Larson is a wonderful actress. I love her. She's great. She's funny. I, I love her presence online, social media. Um. But I always imagined more of like a Gwendolyn Christie kind of person. 
Like a really um, commanding. Yes. Yeah, kind of military presence. Yeah. So I think I'm still kind of getting used to that. I think she's a great actress. And I, I think she'll do well with the part. So maybe maybe there's a few parts of that too that kind of like have me a little more emotionally reserved than other people. But I, I have high hopes. I think it's going to do well. Like I think she stretched her wings in like some of the smaller stuff she's done. Um, like I thought, like I don't know if this is a really small movie, but like her character in Free Fire um, was really good, and I think like could translate well to that. As, like as opposed to like you know the stuff she's like really famous for. I would guess that Free Fire is what got her this role because it does seem like that's the closest thing that 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 feels more like a Carol Danvers to me than anything she did in like room or uh the king kong movie that came out aside from the movies themselves her performance in those didn't really lend itself to a carol danvers character but i'm with you that free fire which is a fine movie but it does feature a very good performance from her and i would bet that's what marvel saw and said we should get her on the phone for this role we're talking a lot about different uh characterizations of of carol danvers and where she's been and the kind of the captain marvel that we like most uh we'll get into a little bit uh some of the disambiguation around that in the script here In 1941, an 18-year-old Virginia native by the name of Chuck Yeager enlisted into the U.S. Air Force. At first glance, there was very little remarkable about him. He had little formal education, and in the days before the United States got officially caught up in World War II, there was very little need for someone as young and green as he was. All that he had going for him was a wry grin, mischievous eyes, and one more ace up his sleeve, uncanny eyesight. 2010 vision. He'd once taken out a deer from 600 yards away. The U.S. entered the war just three months after Jaeger enlisted, and a lot of the rules about who was allowed to fly got more flexible. Jaeger was promptly bumped from airplane mechanic to flight training. He graduated in 1943 and became a decorated fighter pilot, becoming the first in his group to make what was known as, quote, ace in a day, shooting down five enemies in one mission. He was shot down over France in early March of 1944, but managed to survive by his wits for three months, finally escaping to England in mid-May. After he got back, he had to beg to get back into the fight. There were rules against downed pilots returning to combat duty. His plea went all the way to Eisenhower, who decided to give Jaeger another shot. Once the war was over, Jaeger's thoughts were still with the skies, and the government still had use for someone with his extraordinary skill. He became a test pilot for experimental high-speed aircraft, and eventually, the pick for a new type of mission, the quest to break the sound barrier. There were lots of questions about whether or not it was even possible, and what would happen to a human body traveling faster than the speed of sound, but the answer to those questions was generally some variation of, Jaeger better have insurance. And then, on October 12th, two days before the scheduled test flight, Jaeger fell from a horse and broke two ribs. He knew the government wouldn't let him fly in that condition, so he didn't tell them. He didn't tell anyone but his wife and a civilian doctor, who taped up his ribs and got sworn to secrecy. But even with taped ribs, Jaeger was not at peak performance. He couldn't even seal the hatch of the plane on his own. A friend, Jack Ridley, had to dig up a special device made from a broom handle to allow Jaeger to pull the hatch shut while maintaining his secret injury. The U.S. Air Force was trying to make history. They didn't know their history maker's body was broke. But his spirit wasn't. As he would famously say, quote, You do what you can for as long as you can, and when you finally can't, you do the next best thing. This was Jaeger's whole life. Higher, further, faster, more. About two decades after Jaeger's test flight, writer Jerry Conway was hard at work on a title for Marvel Comics called Captain Marvel, who was at the time an alien named, this is true, Marvell, who lived on Earth disguised as a human, and his alien powers would activate whenever there was trouble. This Captain Marvel wasn't one of the A-listers at Marvel Comics, but Conway sort of liked it that way. It let him get a little weirder and more experimental with the stories, since the higher-ups like Stan Lee weren't as liable to be nitpicky. At this point, we need to take a quick break and explain the name Captain Marvel. It's complicated and involves a lot of boring legal fights, so this is going to be streamlined, but it's helpful to understand going forward. 
The very first Captain Marvel wasn't even owned by Marvel Comics, didn't even exist yet. He was a Superman knockoff owned by a company called Fawcett, a little kid who could turn into a superhero named Captain Marvel by saying the word Shazam. And he was crazy popular at the time, the best-selling comic of World War II. He was so popular, actually, that DC Comics got jealous and sued Fawcett, saying their Captain Marvel was too much like Superman. The lawsuit bounced around a few different courts, and finally Fawcett got tired of fighting the charge and just agreed to stop printing the title. That left the Captain Marvel trademark up for grabs, and Marvel Comics swooped in on it because, well, they felt like they should own the rights to a character named Captain Marvel. The original Captain Marvel, the Fawcett one, is now called Shazam. He's owned by DC and is getting his own movie next year. In order for Marvel Comics to keep their Captain Marvel trademark, they have to publish a Captain Marvel title at least once every two years, which is why Jerry Conway was working on a title back in 1967. Conway introduced Carol Danvers in 1968 as an Air Force officer, and she remained a pretty standard colleague slash damsel in distress until she was caught in an explosion that altered her DNA in 1977 when she became Miss Marvel. Conway's intentions here were apparently good. He wrote that readers, quote, might see a parallel between Carol's quest for identity and the modern woman's quest for raised consciousness, for self-liberation, for identity, end quote. But the execution wasn't popular. For one thing, readers objected to the name, which made her sound like a female knockoff of the real Captain Marvel in the same way that Supergirl and Batgirl felt like lesser sidekicks at the time. But secondly, there was the matter of the costume itself, which, even by the standards of the time, was pretty ridiculous. Artist David Cockrum supposedly went through a dozen or so costumes until he finally landed on one revealing enough for Stan Lee's liking. As Miss Marvel, Carol Danvers would go through a lot of changes at Marvel in the ensuing decades. You get the sense that everyone at Marvel Comics knew there was something special about the character, but couldn't quite figure out how to deploy it. She was given different powers, different backstories, different names like Binary and Warbird. She was the subject of no small amount of controversy with several different creative teams, all of them, unsurprisingly men, failing to handle issues like alcohol abuse and sexuality in sensitive ways. That all changed in 2012, when an up-and-coming writer named Kelly Sue DeConnick was given the chance to remake Carol Danvers from the ground up. DeConnick, herself an Air Force brat, had a special connection to the character and imagined Carol Danvers as not just a superhero, but one of the superheroes, a premier character on the Marvel roster. DeConnick was and still is a vocal feminist in an industry that has rarely been kind to feminists, but she stood her ground saying, quote, I'm willing to make other people uncomfortable so that my daughter won't have to. Her Carol was a tough, mule-headed, commanding daredevil pilot, a little prickly, but also inspiring. She was emotionally complex, but she was no-nonsense. DeConnick was unimpressed with the costume designs Marvel was sending over, so she paid an artist she trusted named Jamie McKelvey out of her own pocket to give her new Captain Marvel a military flair. Marvel Comics ended up liking the design so much they compensated McKelvey. Above all, DeConnick's Captain Marvel was driven. DeConnick conjured four little words that Carol repeats like a mantra, and they have come to define Captain Marvel's character. Higher, further, faster, more. The series was a smash hit, and both Carol Danvers and the title Captain Marvel finally seem to have found their natural fit in the pop culture universe. Captain Marvel's legions of fans are the Carol Corps, and they're some of the most ferociously devoted in superhero comics. With their cosplay and their encyclopedic knowledge of the character and their fan art and fan mail and stories of how Carol's inspired them and encouraged them, it's easy to be reminded of how rare it is that these characters do end up really mattering and why it's still so moving when they do. At the Comic-Con where DeConnick's new run on Captain Marvel was announced, she described her take on the character like this, quote, Carol Danvers as Chuck Yeager. Yes, Jaeger broke the sound barrier on October 14, 1947, in a jet he called the glamorous Glennis after his wife. You can still see it on display at the Smithsonian. Jaeger's 95 today. He lives in California with his second wife. His first passed away in 1990. He's broken the sound barrier a few times, most recently just a few years ago in 2012 at the age of 89. 
on the 65th anniversary of the first time he pulled it off, the same year that Captain Marvel was introduced by DeConnick. In November of 1953, his record had gotten broken by another pilot who had, get this, managed to travel twice the speed of sound. Not content to let this insult slide, Jaeger steeled himself and the very next month broke this new record in time to spoil the newcomer's award ceremony. Jaeger hit Mach 2.4 this time on his own personal quest. The same one Carol is on. Higher. Further. Faster. More. I feel like I'm going to get hate mail for what I just said. But. <laughs> you're not gonna get I don't think so. I think it's like a not an uncommon take online. I feel like you're fairly, you're, you're just left a mainstream. Wait, for not liking the trailer? No, no. For like, you know, something I, I think whenever, you know. No, I, honestly, like, I don't, I'm still not like completely sold on her being Captain Marvel. I agree. Like I, I wanted a more, I wanted a more commanding presence. So I feel like we're pretty aligned across the board on Captain Marvel at the moment. <laughs> you guys were allies. Uh, <laughs> I want to, I want to love it so much. And I think I will like enjoy the movie. I'm just, I, I, I haven't seen Free Fire either. Which maybe if I see that, I'll like feel a little bit more hopeful. And you know, I should also say too, like I also have a huge crush on Brie Larson, so I'm like Fair, not an okay. observer. <laughs> So I'm curious, especially for for you, Hannah, because this is this is one of the talking points I wanted to bring up. Like, what is it? I, I know that like Carol Danvers is an important character. What is it about Carol Danvers that you feel like really clicked with you? I love how practical Carol Danvers is. I find that like really relatable. Well, I guess it depends on where you start reading. I've read the like you know the old run from the 1960s with you know Marvel where she's just like a head of security she's a total damsel in distress albeit capable but you know still a 19 female character um but i i guess she's very sure of herself but at the same time i think you know she she bears a bit of a chip on her shoulders like definitely trying to prove herself to people um so like while she's like extremely strong, she still has vulnerabilities and is, um, you know, flawed. And I think some, some stories, you know, uh, talk about that more than others. I didn't read Civil War II. Um, so I know that you guys have some different opinions on that because I haven't read it. Um, I can't share, but um, I love the practicality and... I think that the, you know, Kelly Sue McConnick and the, the, the newer run that started in 2016, I um, cannot remember who wrote that, um, really have shifted the way that they wrote, you know, uh, Carol Danvers from when she was Miss Marvel and some of those earlier stories where, you know, she's wearing a, like a, a leotard. <laughs> like, the costume is bad. Relax, so like, I, I think that, you know, you've seen this huge movement around Carol Danvers, like the Carol core. And I mean, like women, when they changed that costume, for example, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later. I mean, that was just like, I feel like a huge move in comics and particularly for Marvel and to see this character in this like military style uniform um, and just be a fearsome physical presence, I think was pretty awesome. The, uh, the costume change is a big deal because as you alluded to, for most of her existence, and Carol Danvers has been around for a long time, but she wasn't called Captain Marvel until quite recently. And her costume, even by the standards of the genre, which have never been great, uh, was was pretty revealing, pretty objectifying, uh, and just kind of ridiculous. And it, to the point where Marvel even got hate mail about it back when it was when uh, it was first introduced in the seventies. Uh, it has to be pretty bad, I think, for to like offend the comic book fans of the 1970s, and, and it did. But it wasn't really changed in any meaningful way. It, it, it did go through different iterations, but it, it wasn't until Kelly Sue DeConnick uh, took control of the character in around 2010 that she got a new updated the costume that that she has today that she has in the movie, which is very military, very inspired by uh, by the Air Force, which is what Carol Danvers comes from, and that's uh, and I think that was a really big big turning point in the genre. It's not. I, I don't think it's where it needs to be yet. I think there's still a lot of objectification that happens with the art and the superhero comics, but I do think there was definitely a 
pre-Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel and a post-Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel era for the female uniforms in superhero comics. And, and that's a really good thing. And I think it made it. It's what brought the, I think is probably a big part of really rallying the, what's called the Carol core, which is the, the fandom around Captain Marvel. So Disney does uh, this whole Disney half marathon thing. And in, uh, in California every year at Disneyland, they do an Avengers half marathon. And the first year I did it was, I believe, 2013. So the year after Kelly Sue, uh, like Captain Marvel and her whole redesign came on the scene. It was outstanding how many people showed up in Captain Marvel uh, gear just to run. Like it, there were so many women who like showed up, and it was really awesome to see just like this kind of like subcultural phenomenon start happening. Um, which like makes sense, like on like why they decided to kind of like they see all these people gravitating towards this character. Why not like start putting her more at the forefront, for better or worse, you know? What do you think it was about this character that because she has become Carol Danvers in her current iteration isn't even as old as the Marvel Cinematic Universe. She came out after Iron Man 1, but she's very quickly become the uh, like kind of on the Mount Rushmore of superheroes at Marvel right now. She's a she's a, a big deal, I think, largely because of, like you said. Chris, the the Carol Core has been really vocal about how much they they like her. What do you think it is about her that really struck and like struck a nerve? I guess I should say like why a Captain Marvel movie next instead of one of the other female superheroes that's been around Marvel for a long time? Somebody like uh, we could, for example, She Hulk or even Black Widow. Sure, sure, sure. I think when you talk about an accessible like heavy hitter, uh, she might be the most like the most accessible one um i think that when when they started shifting uh in 2012 towards captain marvel and this whole reinvention of carol danvers i honestly like i think like there were a few things working for it like uh she had some good she had some good stories going along with it like and like she just looks super cool. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if there's like I don't know if there's much more of a formula around it beyond that but she like as far as women in comics go like women super female superheroes like there was an empowering voice behind like this like one fully dressed like costumed uh, female hero that was taking a stand that was like again had like really good like had a really good female art uh writer behind her um you know like i i think there were a few things that like especially this on the online culture just like really gravitated towards uh that felt empowering like they you know like you've always had wonder woman and like you know a few the, a few really strong characters but like i think that there was something really empowering about this like you know military leader who you know they started ramping up as being like one of the like strongest heroes in the entire like you know marvel universe so um yeah i think there were a few things at play there i feel like that's the key in my mind for why she's been so successful is that like they made her one of the most powerful characters and they also gave her like the personality befitting one of the most powerful characters and basically let kelly sue like craft like a real character um because i i think like you know some of the best comic book characters that we we talk about a lot like you know a lot of the ones that have the most success in like in my opinion like have a lot of success because they tap into some of these you know like deeper stories or narratives that we want to believe in you know that we want to see in kind of hero comics um like they tap into these people who don't actually exist because they're like too good but they're they tap into that hope that we want to see in the world um and i feel like they they let Kelly Sue like make a character like that um, because she's like as powerful as anyone in the Marvel universe, but she's also like way different than anyone else. Um, her voice doesn't sound like Captain America's or Iron Man's or anyone else. And um, she very clearly can go toe to toe with any of them, um, both in terms of power as well as in terms of leadership ability. Um, so, I mean, I, th I think there's something there that, like, it's a piece they were missing. And they might not have known that they were missing that, but um, it's very clear that some creators certainly did. And I think Kelly Sue DeConnick in a recent interview um, said, really hit the nail on the head when she said, 
Captain America always gets up because it's the right thing to do. Captain Marvel gets up because F you. And that's see that really sums up a lot of her character. She's she has a real stubborn streak and she she wants to fight back and she she gets pissed off when uh, people expect her to stay down. And that is not a character that we've really seen in the MCU. That does, it doesn't really even exist in the pop culture canon in a real serious way. And I, I think that's exciting to see that sort of representation that, that'll be coming from the movie. Uh, and I, I do hope, it's, I do think it'll be good. The track record is strong and I, I, I'm excited. I feel like everything is sort of teed up for this to be a, a kind of a, insofar as a superhero movie can be important, insofar as we've seen these movies be important, as it was the case with Black Panther, this one could be an important too. So uh, we're pumped for it. So the big question coming out of this uh, as we start to wrap up is uh, stories. If somebody wanted to start reading a little bit more of Captain Marvel to get prepared for the movie, to educate themselves a little bit, where to start? We've mentioned this a few times, but I'll just knock the easy one out of the way is the Kelly Sue DeConnick run, which really reinvented Captain Marvel and Carol Danvers as we know her. Is, uh, is it's available on Marvel Unlimited online. You can go into a store and pick up the the paperbacks, the collected trade paperbacks, and it is a really, really great read. That's kind of split into two parts. The first half is very uh, Earth based, takes place largely here on planet Earth, and then it goes for part two off into it relaunches and takes place mostly in space with like the Guardians of the Galaxy. Ryan, you said you like the space version a little more? Yeah, I mean, but that's, again, just a personal preference. I mean, I've, I'm on record as like Marvel Cosmic being my favorite stuff. So um, I just like, I really like any of the comics that feel like they take place in a much br- like bigger canvas than we can see on Earth. Um, so yeah, so I, I really like those parts of it. And like seeing her kind of step out and like basically like save the galaxy instead of just saving the world, I like, so... Which I know is very dumb. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you. I love it. Well, I feel like there's like diplomat Carol, you know, who's like, she's she's level headed for the most part, you know, and she needs to be not all the time, but you know, like she knows that she's qualified to do that, but she's like, she's drawn like a moth to the flame to the action. And so I feel like, you like just see her feel alive when she's out doing things like that, which is why I think when she's out in space, like kicking butt, doing that kind of thing, it's the best kind of story for her. Any other stories that you guys would recommend besides the, or in addition to the Deconic run? That started in 2012. So, I mean, like it's not that lengthy of a catalog for anybody. Really, like yeah, if you accessible. wanted to start with Kelly Sue, yeah. like, yeah, you could definitely just like start with Kelly Sue and then start working your way through everything. I think people will feel a little bit of whiplash uh, when they get like more towards like Civil War Two um, in her characterization. So, like the, um, I think it was the showrunners for Agent Carter, uh, Tara Butters and Michelle uh, Fijel Fisakis. Uh, they took over the book, and their whole idea like was to evolve captain marvel from like this character that kelly sue like had kind of crafted into like this next iteration of her like uh being like more you know military and government leader focused and uh and so it definitely like they put her if anyone is familiar with like the first civil war um they kind of put her in this like the same light that they did with Tony Stark and it kind of got it, like there was a lot of pushback online you know from a lot of fans where like she was she did like portray that very stubborn side of her because her way was the you know, the only right way in her mind and it caused a lot of bad fallout and um i think with civil war 2 just like it did with iron man kind of turned me off from the character for a bit and so I, I feel like i've been going through a healing process with captain marvel leading up to the movie um but like there it is it is a pretty interesting switch i feel like you know around like the civil war 2 um era and how her character is portrayed so yeah i think i need to do a little bit more like deep dive into like what she's been up to since then but I I do think it's interesting that they wanted to evolve her character a little bit more to kind of play this like more commanding leader 
presence. Whereas like historically Miss Marvel and even like when Captain Marvel started getting off the ground, like she still like, wasn't like the super central role, like especially in Miss Marvel, she always played like this kind of like supporting cast character. So, um, so yeah, it was an interesting, like it was an interesting way to evolve her if that's what they wanted to do. Hannah, how about you? Um, I did not read Civil War II, so I did start reading the standalone run in 2016 by uh, Michelle. Is it Fazekas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. like that. Um, I like it. She's she's in space. She's with some kind of force in space. I forget. The name. There are several of them, um, and I I'm probably 10, 11 issues into it. I'm really enjoying it. It's fun. It's spacey. There's aliens. And obviously, like, you know, Kelly Sue DeConnick's run is just important, not even just for, for you know, Miss Marvel and Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, but I think just like, you know, for comic books in general, it's important to read. Um, so just because you're, and especially in the history of Marvel, I feel like in particular, seeing a character have that kind of spotlight, those powers, um, and represented, you know, the way that she was, it's, it's a huge moment. Um, I also, I kind of enjoyed going back and reading, uh, Captain Marvel from the 1960s when it had Marvel and they showed like Carol Danvers as this character. I kind of just recommend it for people if they want to just maybe read like, you know, five or six issues of it just to kind of get a feel of how things have changed. It gives you a pretty good perspective and it's on Marvel. Like how far she's come since the 1960s. Yeah, exactly. It gives you a really good perspective on it and it won't take much time, but you you can definitely see how far we've come. <laughs> I would also recommend there's a, a mini series out right now. I think it's going. I think it's just going to be uh, five issues called "The Life of Captain Marvel." That's by Margaret Stoll, and uh, it's ongoing. I think there's only four issues right now. Five will be coming out next month. Um, but I, I would really recommend it. They rework her, probably a little bit similar to how the movie's going to do. They sort of tell her origin story and flashback through some stuff that she's going through right now here in the present. It involves her going back to where she grew up out in Boston, living with her family for a little bit while her brother recovers from an accident. And uh, I think it's a really, really well-told story for people who are fans of the character. The artwork is beautiful. The covers are, are really great. Uh, some really nice work on the on the front covers. And the story is, is really solid. And it it doesn't really involve a lot of superheroics. It's a much quieter story that's just focused on her processing um, some family trauma and what she's been through and how that's still a part of who she is, even as an Avenger, as one of the primary Avengers. Uh, I, I, Marvel doesn't do stories like this very often, especially with their big characters. And it's a good crash course, sort of, in where she came from, how she became who she is and what her character is like now. Uh, I'd recommend The Life of Captain Marvel by Margaret Stoll. I just read the most recent issue last night and I can't wait for the next one. I would say too, like if someone wants a Captain Marvel, uh, like crossover book where she's like around of other, a lot of other heroes, like that's better than civil war two. Um, there are lots of options, but the one that sticks out to me is, uh, infinity. Um, she's yeah. very good in that and yeah, she is good in that. does some really cool stuff. And like, you get to see her on the bat, like as a like battlefield general, which is really cool. So there's, yeah, there's some really cool moments in that. Uh, plus, it will be a secret introduction to Jonathan Hickman. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, we recommend Infinity on here a lot too, but it's a really great con. And it does, I think it was sort of early on in Captain Marvel being accepted into the the like big leagues of Marvel Comics, like the Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, Black Panther, like the main group of heroes. She she became part of that grouping. And you get to see her be, yeah, like a general, like directing traffic on the actual battlefield. It's really cool. Any other big Captain Marvel thoughts before we sign off? No. Get those <laughs> the part of the interview process where they're like, you have any questions? Like, no. <laughs> I think she's a really inspiring character. I would say that she like it's it's personally inspiring to see somebody like like her who I, I'm always inspired by characters who don't give up. Um, that's like really good for me to have a steady media diet of characters who don't give up because I think probably because it's can be very tempting for some people to give up, probably tempting for me to give up and hearing stories of people who, who keep getting up over and over is really valuable, uh, to, to have as part of the stories that you're consuming. And since that's such a, become such a core quality of Carol Danvers life, 
I, I think that I've appreciated some of the just personal inspiration and motivation that I've got from reading some of her stories. And it's nice when a comic can do that for you. It's part of what we go to them for. That was beautiful. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> so I guess we'll wrap it up with that. So we're get out of here. No, I, I, I do appreciate it. I'm looking forward to seeing the movie. Um, thanks, guys, for listening to Cape Town Podcast. Hope you liked what you heard. If you did, then please head over to our Apple Podcast page. Give us a good review and subscribe while you're at it. Tell your friends that you enjoyed it. We are also on Twitter and Facebook at Cape Town Pod. Uh, if you want to be part of our special guest listener segment, then hit us up there too. Uh, if you disagree with something that we said or if you have further thoughts about it, some more comments or even just a question you want to ask, then you can let us know there. You might be a featured part of our next recording schedule. We want to make sure that we say thanks to Chad Snavely, CM Studios for making sure we sound good in the headphones. And with that, we'll wrap it up. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Chris Blood. I'm Hannah Mazel. And I'm Ryan Ham. No need for thanks, citizen. We'll see you next time.